This is David Keane. Welcome to Quo's second season of the Future of Travel podcast. In our first season, we asked leaders from across the tourism spectrum what they thought would happen in light of an ever-worsening virus. Today, in mid-August 2020, we have some clarity. The equilibrium between economic need and safety is driving some improvement. The Northern Hemisphere's summer has shown the will of the people is to travel. It may be slowed, but it won't be stopped. In our second season, we want to understand this yearning. What compels us to travel? Where does that curiosity come from? And how do we see travel in a post-virus world? We hope you enjoy these conversations. Good afternoon and welcome to Quo's podcast, The Future of Travel. I'm Catherine Montien-Vicienchai and today I'm delighted to be joined by David Abraham, co-founder of Outpost. Um, Outpost is a network of co-living, co-working and social spaces for location-independent entrepreneurs, creatives and professionals. Good afternoon, David. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, David, I understand the idea for Outpost was uh, something that came to you when you were in a Starbucks in, in Tokyo some, some years back. Can you tell me a little bit more about the story of how you, how you kind of began? Yeah, it was in a, it was in a coffee shop. I was uh, traveling. Uh, at that time, I was writing a book about uh, resource usage, and I was finding myself going to locations like mines and, and, um, and then visiting companies in cities, and I was moving a lot. And it was about uh, this one Thursday afternoon, about 4.30, I was sitting in Tokyo looking around and I was working at this uh, small cafe and I saw all these other people working. And, you know, I knew what I was doing there because I didn't have an office. And I saw these folks um, toiling away on their computers and, and wondered why were they there and not in the office. And if they could be away from the office, then, then why did they have to be stuck in, in the city? Why couldn't they be in an idyllic place? And as I was uh, finishing up the book, I was actually writing in, in Bali. And it kind of all put together that, hey, we can start to see remote workers working from, from almost anywhere. And so we set up a community uh, that opened in 2016 for, for remote workers. And it included a, a few places to stay and, and, and a place to work. Right. And now you describe your mission now in terms of kind of building on that idea, really, people helping people join what you're calling the remote revolution. What do you think are the drivers? I mean, particularly pre-COVID, and we'll get to sort of what's happening now in, in a moment, but pre-COVID, what were those drivers of this remote revolution? What was, what was influencing or what behavioral changes were happening in society that you felt were somehow shifting gears in terms of how people think about work and life and where they work and how they work? What, what was going on there? Well, it was it was obviously my own experience knowing that I could be productive away from the office. Um, but there were a number of trends that were happening happening both in hospitality and that were happening uh, in, in, in work in terms of what was happening in, in work. Um, obviously, the tools that people use are all becoming the same and they're all becoming networked and everyone could travel with a laptop, whether you were a marketer, um, whether you were a manager, yeah. um, whether you were a programmer, or a coach or or it didn't matter. We were all using the same tools and those tools could be used from anywhere. And as long as we had internet connectivity, it was, it was apparent that you, you could, you could physically um, work from anywhere. And then um, we saw obviously with cheaper travel becoming more, more, more um, 
obvious. And we saw a trend where people were like, I didn't have to be around. If I ran my own company, I could be where I wanted to be. And so when we opened in, in 2015, we saw this trend where offices were becoming less physical spaces and more networks. Right. And so we saw ourselves at Outpost as really becoming part of that, that network um, space, if you will, mm. going, going from the physical to, to the virtual. Mm. And, in, and in hospitality, um, what we really saw was a, a, a trend um, that was focusing on individual experiences. Um, individual in-depth experiences, um, but also shared experiences. Right. Um, people were, we were, what we saw was when people were coming to us, they were less concerned about the amenities. Um, what they were really concerned about was who they were going to meet in these locations and, and what were the experiences they were going to go through with people. So we, we saw this, this social uh, community building. And for us, the social community was focused on entrepreneurship and creativity. Right. And is in your experience, is remote working for anybody or is it a certain type of person that you think is suited to this, this kind of more nomadic lifestyle, I guess, and being less tied to an office or to a base? Is it, I mean, can anyone do that or is it really a very specific, I guess, in, in the branding world, we call it typology or persona that is more inclined to, to sort of gravitate towards that type of, of different experience? I think it's evolved. When when uh, my my partner and I started thinking about this, uh, what we saw were digital nomads, people who typically coded um, and and just wanted to be alone, and they were uh, stereotypically introverted. Right. And then there were other people who would have been backpackers, but instead of backpacking, they wanted to be try. They wanted to be an entrepreneur, so they they came out to Bali or Chiang Mai with their laptop and tried to start something. And I might have been one of those people 20, 20 years ago. But what we've seen since 2016 is really this evolution, uh, whether the people coming through our space are, are VCs, they're, they're um, architects, they're a wide variety of folks. And that, ty that type um, has really evolved. Yeah. And so I think what we're going to see through uh, this, this COVID spring and into summer when it just becomes summer, and we can hopefully take away the COVID, is that uh, that this there is this whole unlocking of people who thought they were tethered to the office, and we'll find out they can be untethered wow. for days, weeks, or months at a time. I think the whole COVID situation is has really, I mean, it's completely shifted the the mindset of how we work, right, and where we work, and suddenly the whole world has had to to effectively change and shift gears in terms of this idea of being at home and working from home. Do you think COVID has normalized remote work or is it just presented different opportunities and, and a different perspective on it? I think normalize in a pandemic is a, is a <laughs> right, tough word to use and, and, and trends to see what's going to stay and what's going to go away is hard. Yeah. Uh, even here in Singapore, I see people starting to shake hands again. And I thought that that was, that was going to be a thing in the past. Um, I think what, what we've seen is that remote work is possible. Uh, the grand experiment works. Now, the question, does it work for everyone and does it work for every time? Um, the, answer is, the answer is going to be no. Um, but, but it's been proven and we feel that the, the standard work week is going to evolve. And so whether people are traveling for days or weeks or months away from the office, whether it's across town, across state or across the globe, people are going to say, hey, I can work this way 
and we've proven it. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a great big validation. The question is 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 how does that how does that look in the in the future? Uh, the uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve looked at the number of jobs that could be done fully remote. That means never coming into the office. And they were looking at around 40% of those jobs um, could be done. Wow, that's remote. a big number. So yeah. if we kind of take that as a baseline of people who never could come into the office. And even if it's, you know, 10% of those or 15% of those who are traveling for you know, weeks or months, that's a huge amount of folks. And what we'll see is just this change of what the, the business traveler is. And historically, they've traveled to places because business dictates right. they go. Whether it's a week in you know Tokyo to meet some clients, people may stay on and 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 go to uh, Matsumoto or might go to the to um, uh, Takamakura. Uh, they're now saying, "Hey, I'm going to lead with where I want to go, and work will follow." So instead of leisure, where business is leading leisure, yep. we're going to see. Um, a fundamental change where uh, people are dictated, uh, dictating where they go and they bring their business with them. Right. But is this a, when you think of these kinds of nomadic workers, are, is, it a, is it a permanent lifestyle shift? Is it one day people wake up and say, okay, I can work anywhere, so I'm going to go and work in Bali this month, and then next month maybe I'll work somewhere else? Or is it more about, you know, their base, they have their base in, in some urban center somewhere in the world. And every, every three to six months, they take two, two weeks out and go and work remotely. What, what, is, what is the dynamic or kind of mix of these different patterns? We'll see a, a mix of both. I think that what the, the typical nomad, the person who's traveling for two or three years, takes the headlines. Um, and they do make a portion of our, of our, of our members. Uh, most of the folks are going for days, weeks, maybe a month right. or two, yeah. and then they're coming back. And historically, those people um, would be coming out to to um, one of our locations in Bali or Cambodia, and they would be there for a month. And then they would go back because their clients were there. Now, so if their clients aren't there or their clients aren't demanding they be there, then we may see a fundamental change where business is done wherever you're meeting people. Right. And that's really what it what excites us uh, is that is that that remote work uh, is that there's no there's no if you will looking down on folks. So when I was uh, we opened Outpost in 2016, it was a side project for me, and I would um, consistently talk to people in New York, and I would tell people. I would never tell them I was in Bali. I would tell them maybe I was in Singapore. I would tell them, uh, you can contact me any morning next week uh, because I didn't want to stay up till three, four in the, uh, in the afternoon New York time, which would have been three, four uh, Bali time. That, that will be gone, that uh, you can't work. That in kind of barrier. Place. Yeah, that's really interesting. Almost like you were embarrassed to admit that you were on a beach somewhere, but you were still like the idea that people wouldn't understand that you could be in an idyllic location and still be you know, working and getting what you need to get done, right? right. But you're saying that and, and that's going to shift, yeah. That will shift. Now, that will, will that shift for everybody? Sure not. I'm sure people will say you can never, no, no matter what you're doing, you can never be uh, productive in X or Y location if it's not an office. And I, I think that's um, an, an older notion, uh, but there will be some people who say that and then they don't, they don't join our lifestyle or, or work with people who are, who are remote. 
And as you alluded in one of your first questions, not it's not the remote work lifestyle is not suited for everybody. Yeah. Manufacturing and, and, and being a waiter is not something that you can really do remotely. Uh, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm seeing traders come out. Uh, and I always used to thought after working in, uh, in finance, you know, you needed a strong internet connection that would allow you to, to trade instantly. And, and lo and behold, people are finding that. Right. It's a fascinating mix. It really is who's, who's, and I don't think that um, the script is written on, on who will come. And I do believe it will be people who come in, in uh, you know, for weeks and months will make the majority of folks, not those long-term. Right. And I think one of the interesting things that we've seen come out of COVID is with everyone working remotely or working from home is, is actually when people have been allowed back into the office, there's been almost a sense of relief that they can finally face to, you know, have face to face interactions, that they have that human contact again, that they've missed those water cooler moments or, you know, whatever it is that probably they didn't even think about. So there's almost been a, a, a kind of unexpected outcome of this is that we've realized as, as, as a society, how important human connection is. How do you manage that as outposts in terms of people, you know, coming out on their own, spending a month with you working? How do you enable and encourage and, and take care of that really critical social human, basic human need to interact and connect with other, other people? I think that's really what the, the pandemic has shown us is how, how um, unsupported or dare I say weak our, our community structures are. Uh, we, we, especially in the West, we, we don't have organized religion where people are, are meeting up on a regular basis. There's no town square or people aren't participating in, in government as much. The local bar isn't so local anymore. Um, we, we're not going to school at, at, at this age. And what we've realized was work was the last place where we were getting together physically. And what we're seeing is that this virtual world where your, your community is based on uh, a shared interest or a swipe right or, or a click like uh, is really unfulfilling. And there is a role for a physical space and, and, and a community based on proximity. And, uh, you know, I look back to my, to my youth and I was friends with uh, Paul who lived down the street, not because we had any sense of uh, shared interest, but we, we saw each other all the right, time. Right, he was and, there, and, yeah. And we all look back to those friends that we've had and, and we probably look at them now and say we wouldn't be friends with them. But because we were able to meet them, um, and I think that those um, relationships based on proximity are, are critical. And so for the role of Outpost is that when people are coming all the way around the world, uh, they're, they're looking for uh, connections. They're looking for uh, people to be with and experiences to have. And so Outpost, our role is really facilitating that connection. So it's not about providing a bed. It's not about providing a desk. And, and at Outpost, we've always looked at the world as how do we support this lifestyle? And at the very basic, when we started, it was a place to live and a, and a place to work. And if those change, then we're changed. We're not married to, to that particular, particular concept. Uh, so when people come, um, we focus on uh, telling them about the events that are happening, uh, ask them ways to contribute, lead an event. Uh, there, there are a number of things that, that we think through to really make that experience 
real and it and it involves some some interaction um, between the staff and it involves interaction between each other and we have boards so you can come in and see who's there and and what skills someone has and what you may be able to learn and different people have office hours so it's a really um, a structured way to to facilitate connection and that doesn't take necessarily a lot of time it just takes a lot of foresight into how people are coming together and that's really kind of the the, the secret sauce that makes outpost um, outpost and what makes out people who come to outpost outposters right and seeing them meet up in other areas of the world in the future or, or after they come to outpost hearing that they've went to burning man or they've met up in certain locations or or know that for example a, a company um, was started at Outpost and is now one of uh, Pakistan's leading uh, payment providers. Wow, uh, is 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 rewarding to me and would be untraditional for another hospitality. Yeah. Player. Now I was going to ask you that very question. Really, was like, what you know, what sort of success stories do you have? Whether it's even just a friendship that was that was formed or forged at an Outpost, or even a business deal was struck or a business was started. And it sounds like you have plenty of those of those stories to tell, which is which is obviously very rewarding for you because that's really at the core of of what you're trying, what you're trying to do. Um, right. Do you, well, I mean, that's how people, that's how people stay loyal. Yeah. Uh, they, it's, it's, it's not the discounts that they could get, or it's the connections that they have. And, and we see the people who come through or it's, it's almost akin to a uni a mini university experience uh, where you, you're, you have tight experiences with people for a very short period. And they're formative times when when someone is coming outside of their their element, um, outside of their country, especially. Uh, they're they're very open, and and even in people's travel experiences, they may not remember the five months or six months they were working in nineteen in in in, in twenty seventeen, but they'll remember that beach trip they took to Sri Lanka, um, and that'll be formative. And so we have a, a privileged place in people's lives. And, and that connection and that, that resonates with the brand quite well. Yeah. And I noticed, David, that most of your locations are obviously more kind of resort style destinations. Is that a deliberate strategy on your side or would you look into going to urban, urban centers as well? Well, we look at places that are idyllic by any sense of what, what that really means. And, and for us, it was, for me in particular, it was Bali. So we have three locations there. It's also easier to extend um, the property network when when we're at the um, when we've already when we're already there, um, we see opportunities in in uh, in Cambodia and in, in Thailand and Sri Lanka and Vietnam. Uh, we typically look at those places that people think that are idyllic in the mountains or 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 by the shore. But with that said, it's where do our members travel? And uh, I was in Bangkok and. And I was on the on the uh, SkyTrain there, and and someone came in and said, "Hey, you're the outpost guy." Wow. Our member Just was like there. that. <laughs> so so we do see certain cities like Bangkok, um, Hanoi, uh, as as possible spots. As much as I love Jakarta, probably a little less there. Uh, so it, it it depends on what idyllic is. Yeah, and are your guests mostly Europeans, or are they Asian, or are they a whole mix of different people from different backgrounds? Like demographically, is there is there a trend in who's coming? So it it is a mix. Uh, most of our uh, folks are European. Uh, we do have um, the next group, if you will, be uh, North Americans, uh, and then and then uh, Indonesians and and, and Asians. 
Um, I think it's really gone with the, the trend of remote work. If you're not remote working, then you're not coming to an outpost as, as much. Uh, but there's still a number of folks who come to Outpost because they want that social experience that they missed in the hostel. Um, but they just don't want to hear anyone snore anymore. Right. <laughs> and in terms of looking at the, the wider hospitality um, sector, I mean, we see all kinds of brands and products talking about co-living and co-working and co-everything. And how do you compare what you're doing at Outpost to sort of more traditional hotels and hospitality spaces that are also trying to, in some way, move into this territory and, and, and how successful do you see those, those efforts? Sure. So we see in terms of what standard co-living is people in, uh, in, in cities needing a place to stay. They're usually 12, 18 months stays uh, and co-living there facilitates ease of transaction. So people can come in very easily. Uh, ideally you're meeting some wonderful people who are staying there, but uh, ultimately you just need a place to live and you're choosing a place. Um, so when someone comes to Outpost, they need everything, friends, a place to work, a place to, so, so it's, it becomes more ho holistic and, and people stay in our place a lot, uh, for, for a shorter period of time. Um, so we're looking for on average, um, because we have people come through for a couple of days to try out about, uh, 10 days to two weeks. So it's a bit shorter. So we have a tremendous community that's, that's coming through these spaces, um, that you don't see in a typical co-living space. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, we'll have 20, 24 times the amount of traffic that a co-living space right, has, right. just because of the amount of, now in terms of the hospitality play or the traditional hospitality world that's, that's creeping into, to focusing on remote workers, um, it becomes a, a challenge. We're seeing a lot of folks offering remote work packages. And I think that's a, a fascinating way to, approach um, a new market uh, but ultimately this sense of uh, curiosity isn't going to be satisfied by by a room in a, in a, in a hotel people aren't going to trade long term working from home in one room to go all the way to a new location to work in another room right, right. Um, that's even closer to your bed likely yeah so I think over the short term it's it's an interesting transition. And I also see um, hotels, some in Singapore, putting desks in lobbies um, to attract people because they see um, that people may need desk space. Um, and that's like seeing uh, a bunch of basketball players hanging out outside your house, outside your, your, your property and saying, hey, let's put some basketball hoops, hoops up in, into the lobby. Yeah, you can do that and probably drive some revenue, but you're going to have some unintended consequences. It doesn't resonate with your brand and the people who are staying there may be very different. Right. Yeah. And what's more, we're not in a global desk shortage. Right, right. I mean, there are a whole bunch of desks and offices that are working. They're just off limits at the moment. Um, so I think what you really have to think about when you're focusing on remote workers is, is who are you focusing on? Why are you focusing on them? And, and what are the services that they need that you can offer? And I think there's a lot for, for um, hospitality players to offer. But if they're focusing on the room and the desk, I think they're missing. Yeah, they're missing. It. And I think you make a good point. It's very much about figuring out as a brand and as a, and as an offering, as a proposition, who are you targeting? Who, what is that type of person that you're trying to attract? And staying true to that mission. And as soon as you start opening yourselves up to to everybody, you're weakening and diluting that that very brand that you you so passionately and built, right? Right. right. 
Right. And there are a lot of people who will remote work. There'll be remote working families who will come away for a little while. And how do you serve someone who's um, the parents are working and the, and the children and the children aren't? I'm sure there's some unique aspects that, that you can yeah. uh, you can focus on. And so there, there are many ways to split it, but offering someone a desk because you have one in the, in, in, the, in, in the room alone isn't going to distinguish you. And it may be something for you to go after for a little while, but I don't think it brings long-term uh, value unless you change your concept. Right, right, right. And in terms of, I mean, you're obviously very much focused on Asia. Do you see similar trends in terms of, of similar, you know, similar brands, similar products to Outpost in, in Europe and North America? Or do you think this is Asia is, is somewhere where the real op opportunity lies? I think we've seen a no number of concepts. Um, Selena st has started with a, with a hostel. Um, and uh, from my understanding, their, their stays are, 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 are two days, three days on, on average. Um, and they've got workspace. Um, the, the question is when you're staying two or three days in a location, how much work can you actually get done? I, I go on a business trip and I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in Singapore or, or Bangkok. I don't even think I get work done, let right, alone right. tourism. Um, so the question is how does the, does the product match the, the, the branding? Um, and, and so what we've spent a lot of time on because, you know, this is a lifestyle I've led. Um, for many, many years is how do we specifically focus on those those structures? And I think we'll see more hospitality brands looking into them and being able to offer something. Um, but I think Outpost with um, our experience and um, for for running the properties for, um, as well as how we offer events and, and connections, not just at the site, but beyond um, is something that um, we're able to build on quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, mean, I guess just, just to wrap up, but I guess right now you must be in this weird kind of holding pattern where you see this enormous opportunity, but with so many countries' borders closed that that opportunity is yet yet to be realized, right? But you must be excited about next year and hopefully once once travel restarts. Oh, we're, we're extremely excited. Uh, we, we see that the trends that we thought would take place over decades are, are now sped up. Right, of course. Um, and, and so, yes, um, operations aren't running full steam now, um, but we're starting to see folks asking us questions. And we also run some trips and to, to locations where we don't have destinations and they're starting to fill up. Right. So we see that people are knowing they have the flexibility and what's most exciting is we're starting to see businesses get into it. Right. And that's where things really start to change. And um, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. I can't wait to see how, how things kind of pan out for you over, over the next six to 12 months. Thank you so much, David. Uh, really great to speak to you. And uh, yeah, hope to see you in the flesh in the, in the not too distant future. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Catherine.